Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinder Kandela and Will Dalton. How are you doing today, guys? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Yourself? I am good today. Yeah, raring to good. go. Interesting topic. Nice. Interesting topic today. So news, though, before we do anything else, let's do the news. Jatinder, do you want to go first with your news story this week? Yep, happy to do that. So my news story is about the first ever UK patient to receive a bionic eye implant. Awesome. A 88-year-old lady from East London is going to have a two millimeter wide microchip inserted in her retina surgically and she will be wearing a special set of glasses that are connected to a small computer on her waistband that will allow her to see wow (laughs) so the the microchip's interfacing directly with her optic nerve somehow is it and and providing the same kind of signals or or is it not so, clear from the article? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the article is just a BBC article. So what they're, what they're saying is that the implant, the microchip, it will be under the retina and capture visual scenes that will be projected by oh. the glasses and transmitted to the computer. So they're using AI algorithms to process those um, mm. and instruct the glasses on what to focus on you can tell i'm such a nerdy engineering type yeah, I'm I really like, more. oh my god how does it work i want to know how that works what's it doing Have you got a picture? <laughs> <laughs> poor i just did is like i just read the news story yeah, guys. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just shut up like, that was <laughs> never going to be good enough jk <laughs> we want the detail all right. Uh, I wonder geeks. how that works. Yeah. So, they, but, okay, I'm not. Stop. stop no, that. let's not. Let's not. Let's not <laughs> yeah. do that. But yeah, no. Uh, cool. Awesome story. Yeah, really like that. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and read about that. I'm gonna see if I can figure yeah. it out. But yeah, no, cool. Amazing, isn't it? It goes back to what we were talking about a couple of episodes ago, maybe one episode ago, with the technology of loss. So mm. lost vision being replaced yeah. by mm. by tech. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, really, really cool. Really cool stuff. Will, did you want to go next with your new story? If you can buy that somewhere in Argos. Well, it's going to happen, isn't it? Within our lifetime. So Wired Magazine, Microsoft has acquired Activision Blizzard. You may or may not know this for 60 gazillion dollars. What's that? <laughs> Sounds good, though. <laughs> Mate, that, might not be an, that might not be an accurate number. Oh, Jatinder. Jatinder, Jatinder, Jatinder. So Activision Blizzard are... Blizzard is, is, is sort of, all for a while, was the darling of the video games industry because they were the people that made World of Warcraft and oh. Warcraft 3 before that, which turned into the biggest... MMORPG, massively mm. multiplayer online role-playing game ever made, made a billion, trillion, million pounds uh, and is still <laughs> going Is still going strong nearly, I think, nearly 15 years later. I mean, I, I was immediately on board with this as soon as it came out. I played it for years, yeah. et cetera. Then they merged with another massive video games company called Activision, who had less of a, a stellar reputation, it's fair to say, but big merger, big money, et cetera. Mm. And it's pretty much been a downhill spiral since then. <laughs> So anyway, it's an interesting move from it's an interesting move from Microsoft because Microsoft are big in gaming consoles along yeah. with PlayStation, along with Sony, who do the PlayStation and Nintendo. And it's an eye to the future. It's an eye to a Netflix style of streaming games and monthly subscriptions, which they already sort of do with their Xbox gaming pass. But they're looking at the future. So sixty gazillion dollars may actually be not a bad purchasing price. As I think Julian was just about to allude to, Activision 
Blizzard and Activision has, you know, history in the dawn of dawn and start of console games. That Activision Blizzard company was involved in a whole load of allegations about gender bias and discrimination, harassment in 2021, which their senior, their leadership team ignored and tried to belittle and all their staff walked out and ultimately had a very had an impact on the share price. <laughs> mm. So my, so maybe Microsoft got it cheap. So I think it's actually, while it, while it actually sounds a lot of money, may actually be a pretty good move by Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, if Microsoft's first action is to kick Bobby Kotick out, then good. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's not good. Like the corporate culture there has been shocking. And the way that they've responded to some, some really credible you know, I mean, obviously, you've got, to, you've got to allow due process to happen, but some of the stories that have come out in the gaming press about the way particular female, particularly female employees were treated and harassed and the sort of frat boy culture and stuff. And then they've just been like, nah, we're just going to leave the guy who was responsible for all of this, you know, mm. under, under whose watch it happened in place. It's fine. Like, he's, he's great. So as Will says, this may be opportune timing on their part. I think it's a clever move from Microsoft because they also bought Obsidian a little while ago, who were a very popular games development studio. So they've, they've got some major properties under their, under their remit now. And we've seen a few failed attempts, like the, the Amazon one, I think, recently, and some, somebody trying to roll out these game streaming platforms, which will work the same way as, um, as Netflix. And, mm. and I can't remember the name of the one recently, the massive one. I'll, I'll find it in a minute. Yeah, they, they haven't worked so far, but I think as people's broadband improves, as the, the latency comes down and, and it really can be representative, that will be the future. I think consoles, are their days are numbered. So it makes sense for Microsoft to do this and then combine it with Game Pass, as, as Will says, to turn it into a Netflix for games. Yeah, it's definitely the future. And they're definitely well ahead as well with this stuff. Mm. But don't forget that, Services like World of Warcraft as well, they are already basically that because you pay yeah. a monthly subscription and you, I mean, yeah, you run the game locally, but everything that really matters is happening on another server elsewhere. I think they're, they're looking at the mobile. So while, you know, consoles is quite a, a rich man's toy, really, isn't it? When you look at the price here, there is, if you look at the vast amount of people, especially in, you know, African continent, South America and things like that, that don't necessarily have a console, but they certainly have a phone capable of streaming and, and fairly advanced um, mobile networking. You know, there is a huge market for them there. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Stadia, Google Stadia. That's what I was looking for in my mess of a brain. Oh, so, you can now so, yeah. sleep easy. Okay. Yeah, it was really <laughs> bugging me. So yeah, like Google launched and, and continued to offer Stadia as a service, which is this, this game streaming thing, but it hasn't really taken off. And again, I think a lot of that is due to people's domestic bandwidth, their broad- broadband and what have you just being quite low. So yeah. So my new story, uh, just quickly to round out the news section, is um, that it is going to be LGBTQ plus History Month in in England, in the UK, in a couple of uh, a couple of weeks' time. Um, so this is the closest recording that we are making to that because we have a production cycle that's sort of six weeks to a couple of months in advance of when we actually publish the episodes, as you'll probably be able to tell from how out of date half the news stories are that we talk about. But um, essentially, it's a big deal, this. Um, so the theme for 2022 is it's the 50th anniversary of the very first Pride March here in the UK, which happened in 1972. Basically, the slogan at the time was the personal is political and art they, the people who are organizing this they say on their website that art is probably the most individual of pastimes so it seems logical to use art as the theme for this year so the 2022 month is going to be themed around uh, art lgbtq plus artists and so on and so forth and we are all for it quite frankly uh, it's pretty cool to see 
um, this sort of stuff gaining such prominence in the media. And as a company that's trying to build itself around these sorts of values and, and inclusivity and diversity being you know, really, really key to what we're doing with DDK. It's just awesome to see. So there are lots of events going on. There's a whole calendar that's online. It's all available at lgbtplushistorymonth.co.uk. So go have a squiz. It's definitely worth a look. And they're all across social media and all sorts of things. Lots of cool events going on, especially in and around London and so on, as long as COVID doesn't knock them off the calendar. So yeah, it's, it's a really important thing. And we just thought it was worth mentioning. That's all. Cool. Right. So next is the main topic for this week. And this week we are talking about the metaverse. Don't groan. <laughs> It'll be fun. Oh, metaverse. Oh, the metaverse. Oh, done that. Been there. Done that. Yeah. So we touched on a few topics related to this in previous episodes of the show, but this week we're going to talk about whether or not you should care, I think, about the metaverse specifically. So do you want to kick us off, one of you two, with what the metaverse actually is rather than whether we should care about it? I'll start. I'll start, JK. Is that right? Go for it. Yeah. This is a joint production by... Will and Jatinda. I'm going to start with a day in the life of a metaverse so set sometime in the uh, maybe not so distant future, uh, near future. So I'm going to wake up, wake up. I'm going to put on my VR or AR, which is virtual reality, augmented reality glasses that's sitting by my bed, rather like I put on my glasses now on a, on a wireless charging station because they at the moment they only last about a day. The battery technology still hasn't caught up. It's on my head, it turns on, and it augments... Augments means it's sort of displaying information over the over my actual real life vision of what I see. It augments sleep data on the right hand side uh, of my of my real world view, so I, I'm able to see how I slept. Now all of that's probably around available. That data is available at, at the moment. Um, presents options on the, my left side whether I want to turn on the coffee mate coffee machine, radio lights, heating, warm up the car, bring it to the front. All these, all these, I can select through through actually looking at them. So it's tracking my actual the actual movement of my eye to see if I can confirm that, and the confirmation message slides and fades into view. So I'm I'm aware of what's then what's turned on and what isn't. Days events are then presented to me on my right hand side. So so I'm sort of getting on with my daily life and brushing my teeth and doing all the relevant things that I need to do with all this information being presented to me. As I then move into the kitchen, I'm picking up breakfast things, breakfast cereals, and it's highlighting those particular objects with a particular code to see whether it's suitable for me for the day, factoring previous practice in my diet and my previous diet for that particular week, what I've had lots of, what I haven't had lots of, my weight, planned exercise, stress levels, um, whether I've got meetings in, later in the day and whether I need to eat the appropriate food because it's going to be a fairly stressful meeting based off the individuals that are in that particular meeting, what's planned for the day. Uh, although some of this is only available on premium subscription and I'm, I'm actually getting <laughs> the, ad, the ad version at the moment. So I'm, <laughs> at, at the moment I've been bombarded by advertisers as well on my right hand view because I can't I'm too I'm too tight to uh, pay for the premium subscription <laughs> dials me then I'm sitting down it dials me automatically into my team call um, and that call sort of takes the corner of my left hand left eye while I eat my breakfast although the avatar is representing me in the in in my team in my team call with synchronized movement lip movement for when I speak to the avatar I was going to say like nobody wants to see your sleepy face while you're eating your breakfast and combing yeah. Cheerios out of your beard. It can or it cannot, but I've got my avatar emotion turned off. So it doesn't reflect my emotion. It's a very neutral emotion, which is what I want for this particular meeting. I don't want my emotion to come through. So you can have meetings in life. This sounds like an absolute nightmare. 
I think I just when, painted the view. When right. you put the glasses on, I think as soon as the ads came up for single ladies in your area, your eye went over to the ad on the right <laughs> side. Don't None of this distracted. happened. Everything else is delayed by 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Before all our use, all our listeners just desert us due to the nightmarish dystopian vision of Will Will's breakfast. So this is what we're essentially talking about here, right? Is is interconnected systems uh, all merging into a sort of augmented reality or even an entirely virtual world? I think I'm right in saying that, right? So so this is the the meta bit of it is is all of these different systems, all these different feeds of information converging to create a life experience which is either augmented or entirely supplemented by or, or, or overwritten by by the virtual system is that right and you're, you're pulling feeds of information from all over the place it's not just one product but you're talking about integration of things like you know your calendars and as you said you know your, your dietary tracking app stuff personal training app whatever all these different things all these different repositories of data about different aspects of your life merging together is that the metaverse or well, I yeah i mean it's what I'm trying to do, what I was trying to describe there is this is what the metaverse is. Mm. What I've gone through in each of those things is what the metaverse is. It's ultimately, and I wanted to give you a flavor of it because I'm painting the picture of what it will what it will be like. Now it was interesting. You you sort of cut it short and said, this is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> There's no way I want this. But is this the future we're going through? Because yeah. it's a natural extension. All I've done is painted a natural extension to what we have now. A lot of that data that I talked about is available to us now. It's just presented in different ways. It's not presented to you through immediately through kind of virtual reality or augmented reality glasses. So it's really visual. It's presented either because you've got to log on to your phone and then you get all your social media feeds, or you've got to look at your Fitbit, other 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 health watches apply to get all your tracking information, or you've got to go on to Teams, you know. All those. However, all that data is there. So the metaverse is ultimately a 3D virtual world, a 3D world supporting and presenting all that information to you immediately for you to then do something about it. Can I just ask a question? What is the difference between Internet of Things and the metaverse? Metaverse is is the 3D world. Yeah, so presented to you, a virtual reality kind of space that you can interact with. Yeah, so you can interact with users or you could interact with other things. And those other things would be, for example, I'm going to turn on my toaster. Or, you know, I said right at the beginning, yeah. I'm going to turn on my coffee maker. I'm going to turn on my toaster. Um, and in a way, I'm going to bring my car through. Now, those are things that are connected to the internet that you can then interact with and control. Yeah, so it sort of forms part of part of your interaction within that metaverse without the internet of things the metaverse can't interact with the real world yeah. essentially so the, the internet of things is is the the ubiquity of internet connected devices from light switches to washing machines to whatever so you know will couldn't turn his toaster on in that in that example without it being on the internet of things that's basically how it works ultimately the metaverse is an extension of the internet just presented to you in your face all the time, if you could imagine that scare story. That's why, actually, Web3 is a term they use where they're looking at the technology that's behind the metaverse and the metaverse itself and describing it as a term like Web3. This is the next generation, if you like. Yeah, Web3.0, yeah. Yeah, this is our next generation. This is what it's going to be like. So how does that sound? And, I, and I, it was interesting to get your initial emotions, but is that, you know, is that, is that what 
is that our is that the next step? Is that what it's going to be like? Are we going to just be bombarded all the time with this information, but but you know much closer to us because because we're wearing AR and VR glasses? So do you do you have to have the AR and VR glasses for it to be the metaverse, or can it be more? Um, can it be stuff like? Two scenes spring to mind to me. One is uh, Minority Report, so the bit where Tom Cruise has a has an eye replacement and then he walks into a clothing shop and it scans his eyes and all the ads on all the screens as he's walking past them change to the previous owner's tank top uh, obsession. So they're like, hey, we've got some new tank tops in for you. And he's like, what the heck? And it's because he obviously mm. he's had his eyes replaced to defeat biometrics. And then the other one is, is Altered Carbon, where you've got that awesome scene uh, in one of the first couple of episodes on the Netflix show where the guy, the main character, is just being overwhelmed with ads because he hasn't got an ad blocker installed in his head. Mm. And someone comes along <laughs> and like zaps him with an ad blocker and all of a sudden they all go away. But he's basically like crawling up, in, curling up into the fetal position. Yeah. And that's without virtual reality glasses. Be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, no so more data. What I'm asking, I guess, is, is in order for this to be considered part of the metaverse, do you have to have that human-computer interaction device, whether it's a chip in your brain or, or some virtual reality glasses or something somewhere on your person? Or is the metaverse just going to be, you know, like billboards that change as you walk past them and, and you know, all this sort of data being fed into the literal real world? Do you have to have that interface layer there for it to be metaverse? I think yes, is the... Uh, is- in my view, feel free to contradict me. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to have, you've got to translate, you've got to ultimately tailor the data to you. So in that way, you've got to have a, a way of interfacing to to yourself. Now, so you can consume it. So while it while we're looking at goggles at the moment, aren't they big or big VR goggles, like Oculus Rift kind of thing, where it just goes over your head and you're able then to interact with the world through VR. Or glasses where it's translating information to you so you can see it, it might miniaturize itself down to contact lenses so you're able to consume that information. Do you know what I mean? So you're able to see the billboard information, or it might be actually you're walking past and it's a it's some device on you that is triggering the billboard in front of you to mm. change its data to represent what's interesting to you. Yeah, so there's always got to be some form of interface. Otherwise, it becomes something like do you remember Second Life? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's first kind of first round of metaverse is is Second Life, but ultimately it was you interacting with a computer directly in a kind of virtual reality world that the computer presented back to you, and you had an avatar that was interacting with other avatars in that world and other companies in that world and things like that. So yeah. I think there's a few bits of technology that you have to have to allow, to, to sort of that defines the metaverse, that makes the metaverse real. Is all of this technology already there then? Are we, is this going to happen? I think a lot of it is there, whether it's, any, whether it's shit or not is another matter at the moment. Uh, but I think, let's, let's look at the technology that's now available that goes towards a metaverse. So you you know if you want to if you want to buy things in a virtual world, you know what have we got at the moment? We've got at, the, at its simplest form we've got PayPal, at a more complex form we've got cryptocurrencies. You know this is all this this never touches any physical thing. This is all exists in a in a digital world. We've got the processing you need some serious processing power. I suppose for these worlds to become a, to become a reality, we're we're looking at fairly good GPUs now that can that can process this. We're looking at 
you need some way of interfacing with this world. So I, you know, look at Facebook and their acquisition of was it was it Oculus that they acquired? Yeah, yeah the the headsets. Other Microsoft with Hololens. You know that technology exists, and it's it's sort of getting better each time. It hasn't really never really hit the mainstream, but the technology still seems to improve. Smart contracts, real time face monitoring, gaze detection. These are all, these are all, we're starting to get into a bit of niche technology, mm. but it's there. It's there now. Virtual land acquisition. <laughs> so there's metaverses now online where companies and individuals are buying land in this world. And they're not buying, it's not, it, it, this, is pay, this is bought with real money or real money in terms of probably cryptocurrency, but that translates down to, you know, cryptocurrency is a real money depending on the coin that you're using. You know, they're, they're acquiring these pieces of land for thousands, tens of thousands, some cases hundreds of thousands of pounds to acquire this land already in a kind of virtual world. And there are a number of these different virtual worlds that exist now. So it's interesting. Technology's there. Will it all come together to make something that wasn't as shit as Second Life? And have we all had enough of that kind of virtual reality world anyway? You know, we tried it, didn't we? It, it sort of it peaked and then people sort of forgot about it is it is it going to take again except this time is it going to take but with now better technology and a lot more data that's that's maybe the question i think for me the the key difference between the metaverse that's coming and and previous iterations of something like second life and i would definitely include things like your world of warcraft eve online you know things like this your your mmorpgs that became huge i mean particularly eve and the upcoming, well, in theory, upcoming game, but God knows if it'll ever actually arrive, called Star Citizen, where people have been paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for an internet spaceship in some cases, you know, because there's going to be like a limited run of them or whatever. And it's literally like they're just virtual things, you know, in EVE Online. They've been great. I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, but there've been, you know, stories of, of these sort of huge heists and these, you know, spy networks that have sprung up and stuff. And they've stolen tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of real world dollars effectively. Mm in internet spaceships you know mm. but the, the thing about these <laughs> well literally yeah you know i mean awesome. there are some some spaceships where, where the the amount of time that's put in or required in order to create one of these virtual entities is so massive that it has a similar value to to, to goods in the real world you know mm. and the difference with those and things like second life for me is that they are self-contained worlds you know so so within eve or something you know yeah you can translate that spaceship into real money and then it becomes something in the real world but then that isn't a world that's connected to ours you know we don't see those when you put on a pair of virtual reality goggles or, or a hololens or whatever you don't see spaceships from eve online flying around above the, the you know london or something because eve's got nothing to do with the real world but the metaverse is where you're going to see these technologies which have been proven time and again i think starting to come into the real world mm. and you may end up in a, in a point where it's indistinguishable between as you say you know virtual real estate and real real estate you know it, it will all become part of the same thing the thing that is interesting about this as well, though, is the, the difference between an AR metaverse and a, and a VR metaverse. So you've talked a few times, Will, about putting the goggles on, you know, and they come down and then you're, you're in the matrix, you know, or you're, you're off into the, the metaverse. From, I know Kung Fu. Yeah, or, or you're <laughs> off into the metaverse from Snow Crash, you know, um, and, mm. uh, you know, you are hero protagonist all of a sudden, protagonist even. And those sort of futuristic visions that we've seen where you're already player one for example the film that came out a while ago and based on the book where 
you you are existing entirely in again a separate space from the real world where which in many ways becomes more important than the real world and then you've got the example you started with where the metaverse is invading reality it's augmented reality where it's it's mm. it's aug- augmenting your everyday and I don't know which of those is more likely. I think we're more. I think probably we're more likely to see the augmented reality version. But that, in many ways, seems like it could be open to more pushback. Because would you really want that level of technology invading into your life? You know, would you really want to be having a meeting while you're having your breakfast and for everyone to know what you're eating and what your heart rate is? And and I think, you know, do you know what? I think you'll pay. You'll start to pay. And I'm trying to think where I saw this. I think it was Black Mirror, an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> Probably. Where you, where you had to pay to see less data, to see less adverts. And you're in a world, you become in a world where actually there's just too much stuff and you become overloaded. And you pay money just to see the data that you want or actually to see nothing, to have peace and quiet. Well, we're already in that world in some ways, aren't we? Mm-hmm. You know, look at YouTube Premium, Spotify, Without an account, you get bombarded with ads. Oh, yeah, you, you do now, yeah. And actually, you you spend so much effort and so much of your time now filtering stuff, don't you? So just turning stuff off, unsubscribing from stuff because you so happened that, you know, clicked on something and it's now subscribed. You spend, I spend a lot of my time trying to get rid of data and information. And like 20 years ago, it was, it was you know, I, I'll acquire anything I can get. Now it's you, you're filtering and you're rejecting. Interesting, I t- I, when, I was painting my, when I was painting my day in the life of a metaverse, I was actually started with aug- augmented reality. I was getting in my car and it wasn't autonomous because I still hadn't figured out the tech. It was still hundreds of years away. You were driving to workplaces, which were now warehouses. You didn't drive to an office uh, tailored to a particular organization. They were just warehouses and you had people in them hooked into VR, not AR now. So you take off your glasses, you'd hook yourself into virtual reality. And it was a warehouse packed full of people just plugged into virtual reality. And I know there's movies about this as well. But those people represented lots of different organizations. So now they were just warehouses of people representing different organizations. But it was separate. The separation of which organization you belong to was only happened when you plugged yourself into a virtual world and then you plugged yourself into either the virtual world that was represented by your company or your organization or it was a virtual world of which you know a a metaverse that exists there they exist now you know there are a number of worlds Uh, and maybe that's how it will be you'll just you'll have a number of different virtual worlds a number of different metaverses to suit the need that you want each of your organizations will have a metaverse like you can each organization now can have its own blockchain and things like that. So really it becomes, you know, you sort of best, of, you, you have both. You both have AR and VR. You love your dystopian imagery, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Warehouses full of miserable people all plugging in. Why don't you just do it from home? I just stick my VR headset on from the couch. Well, because the office will have higher bandwidth. Do you, do you know what I mean? It would have, ah. it would have those technology. It would have the technology to suit that. And it would only be the super rich, for example, that could have that kind of bandwidth on your, on your, mm. in your house. I know I like I like painting my dystopian, but you can see it. There's, a, there's see a dystopian it. novel coming here, yeah. Will. I can I can see. <laughs> do we care? Do, I mean, do we care about all this? Like Facebook do because they've just changed their name to Meta. So obviously, you know, they are starting to position themselves as if, oh well, you know, Facebook it, people will start hearing about the metaverse and go, oh, that must be a Facebook thing. It's clever, isn't it, that they've they've managed to steal a march on that. Mm. Do we? care about all of this i mean there is it it almost feels inevitable doesn't it 
Mm. You know, it feels like we we are going towards that. But should we be pleased, terrified, both? What what do you guys think from the research you've done? Sounds as if that where there's money to be made, this will be a important thing and there will be lots of push for through lots of different companies such as Meta and Google and Amazon to make some profit from all of these technology and start to kind of give people the option. So it might start off as a select types of people with a certain amount of cash can do these things. But I guess from a day-to-day perspective, um, in order to kind of make it a real reality, it goes back to the, can we do this economically and in a cost-effective way? So how will enough power be generated to do all of these things? And will that then become something that can be scaled up across all different parts of the world so that people can make use of it? I think that's probably the the biggest challenge that uh, these companies have got to uh, make it a a day-to-day thing for everybody to be involved. And I think that for me is probably the key point. You know, this goes into a lot of the themes of transhumanism that are explored in many games and movies and bits and pieces. But there's also a risk with this, isn't there, that particularly those people who come from underprivileged backgrounds or from countries where this sort of stuff isn't available, you risk by creating a metaverse, a situation where it's something for the few, not the many, and anyone who isn't on it. I mean, again, Black Mirror, good old Black Mirror, you know, our favourite, but... There's the episode, isn't there, um, Nosedive, where everyone's rating everything on social media all the time and your entire life depends on what your standing is on social media. And then at the end, two characters, spoilers, by the way, but at the end, two of the the characters involved (laughs) get cut off from Mm. this entire thing. You know, they're literally cut off from the bubble and that is like the worst punishment that can happen to you in society. But the implication is, the subtle implication is that they will be happier as a result of that, which is what Will was saying, you know, just to just have peace. But they literally would not be able to function in their world because they are, everything is so dependent on their version of a metaverse in that, Mm. that uh, thing. So there, there are definitely, and there is a reason why the concept of a metaverse has typically turned up in dystopian fiction, I think. And it's because it could go so wrong. You know, Mm. look at Snow Crash, look at, various other things like the matrix you know which is is a metaverse yeah there's a potential for it to go wrong but it's coming i don't think there's anything any of us can do about it is it just going to exist is yeah. it just going to exist is it just going to happen i mean look at i don't know whether whether we're painting a bleak future or we're being accurate based off what we're seeing and how technology is influencing society now i mean look is facebook made a societal positive contribution i think yes it did right at the beginning because it was about connecting people wasn't it it was about bringing people together but it seems to have evolved into something a bit more dystopian you know that gets a lot of negative press and it's lost its original its original good ethos around why facebook was was good and if we're taking that to the next step and presenting all the data and, and sometimes misinformation that comes out of facebook to actually you know making that data really real in your world through metaverse really in your face is that necessarily a good thing and it's available to the highest bidder or to certain nations that want to kind of influence and control their people yeah another another interesting it's not aspect. the truth is it it's the truth yeah. as someone sees it yeah. is the truth as the highest bidder sees it is that necessarily the truth scary stuff isn't it in some ways i mean i think if i was going to summarize it would be you know, the metaverse, should you care? Well, you probably won't have a choice because <laughs> mm. regardless of whether or not we 
we like the idea. I think it is coming and and hopefully the required sort of ethical and and you know legal frameworks and so on will be put in place to prevent significant misuse but who knows you know that usually with technology as we've said several times on this, this podcast around various different topics is found to be lagging behind the speed of the technology itself being developed exactly. so yeah it, it's a slightly god this is going bleak isn't it but it's a slightly <laughs> worrying it, it does worry me a little bit but yeah i think it's coming i don't think there's anything i think there's some interesting and positive things that we can do from it and Absolutely, there's some very yeah. interesting technology in it as well well just as there's as there's definite benefits to things like even facebook you know yeah they may be they may seem a bit more insidious but also a lot of the negative press is so the press can get clicks you know there there is definitely still a positive aspect to the things which companies like facebook do and that ubiquity of communication we just need to remember yeah yeah is is very important to a lot of people a lot of people would be their lives would be adversely affected if you got rid of Facebook tomorrow. So I guess there's that aspect as well. Anyway, I think we're coming to the end of the time that we can spend on this topic. So thanks for that, guys. Any closing thoughts from the two of you quickly before we move on to Recos? Stunned silence. <laughs> Not anything that's going to be positive. Gonna to be fair, I've seen who's going to blink first. <laughs> no one did. Well, that was relentlessly <laughs> grim, wasn't it? Thanks, <laughs> listeners. Uh, next week, tune in for... <laughs> <laughs> the heat death of the universe or something. Cool. So we'll move on to the recommendation section of the show if we can. Will, did you want to go first this week with your record? Yeah, sure. So there's something on GitHub that I found called the awesome list. <laughs> and it and it lists, it's basically lists that link to interesting stuff covering a whole range of different categories. So your, your categories can range from very technical, some programming languages, programming books, covering all sorts of categories but there's also stuff that isn't geekdom relating to business work or neuroscience or psychology books and gaming and to get on this awesome list you have to be mentioned by someone in the list so the list can be contributed to through the normal if you know git there's a, a kind of way you contribute to something through something called a pull request uh, and then you and then if you have a list an awesome list you get little awesome badges that you can apply to your list now i went into these lists and i had a look at it and i think they're brilliant they've got some really good you're you're i'm forever thinking about well what is the top 10 of this or what is the top seven or what are the best books to read non-fiction or what are the best games and all the rest of it and this kind of collaborative approach to a list of awesome stuff that you can click in and go, oh, well, that sounds really good, is a really, a really cool thing. It's great. So GitHub, the awesome list, go and have a look. But does that mean anybody can do a pull request and, and just put something on the awesome list? Or is it pleased? Or do you have to vote? Do th- do th- how do things get approved onto the awesome list as certified awesome? So the, a pull request in Git is you have basically people on it that can review the thing that you're contributing towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, the admin, it's just the admins, is it? who make the decision as to whether something makes the awesome list. I'm not sure who's actually on this particular list. I think it's, I think it's a group, just a number of different people and it, 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 that, that are part of the, if you like, approval list of, of the pull request. And it could be you're adding a new list or it could be that you're contributing to an existing list. So if you're contributing to an existing list, it will be, for example, the original list owners and they'll have a look at actually actually i think this particular book should be number one rather than number two and it could uh, and it could be that that list is that particular item is then promoted on that particular list okay interesting so it is ultimately the awesome list of whoever owns the list plus a few people that they've invited to be admins i suppose but it's collaboratively generated so they've got a lot of suggestions to work with yeah cool yeah very cool idea Okay, right, cool. I'm going to go next. So I am going to recommend a game, but not a video game. This time I'm going to rec- recommend a board game. Yes. So anyone heard of Scythe? No, no. 
So the setting is, you'll, this might be up your street a little bit, Will. So the setting is uh, 1920s Europe, but it's the 1920 Why? Because I'm really old. Well, yeah, A, because you remember, you were That's only, when I was born. You were only 47 in, in 1920. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and you remember it so clearly. Like it was yesterday. No, so basically, 19, it's the 1920 plus setting. So basically, the idea is that, that this is a divergent timeline, effectively, from our own. It's, it's, I mean, it's never really clearly explained why. Or whatever, no one cares anyway. But the point is that it's not our world; it's it's the world of 1920 plus, and things happen very differently. So, in the, the story goes that in the First World War, or just before the First World War, uh, I think it was Nikolai Tesla in the fiction created mech technology. So he created this this place called the factory, which is like this sort of amazing hub of innovation and technology somewhere in sort of deepest, darkest Eastern Europe somewhere. And from that came diesel punk mechs. So great big steam and smoke belching, clanking iron giants that are piloted by people. They're not sentient or anything. And they they basically marched across the landscape and changed the history of the First World War and everything else that came along after that. So it became sort of an arms race for everybody to have these giant mechanical monsters that they would they would pilot about the place and they used for more mundane functions as well like farming and god knows what but everything became a mech so the car became a mech you know the the combine that harvests the fields became a mech you know everything was mechs um so they're not just about shooting at each other and the reason that it it got made was because a guy called jamie uh, stigmeyer who is a very famous uh, board game developer really excellent designer did a kickstarter it's one of the one of the first real kickstarter success stories because he saw some paintings by a Polish painter called Jakob, sorry if I'm pronouncing his surname wrong here, but Rosalski, who basically came up with this setting. So what the paintings are is they're these like really beautiful sort of oil paintings on on canvas where he has sort of people who are dressed in very traditional Eastern European farming garb with really, you know, sort of basic tools and implements from 150 years ago or whatever, farming in the foreground. And then these really moody pictures of these giant mechanical sort of behemoths walking across and and sort of fighting with each other or just stomping across the landscape in the background and so the game itself is based around this sort of juxtaposition between these these working peasants kind of thing and these enormous mechanical tanks effectively or or huge huge mechanized sort of creatures that are piloted by by humans the mechanics are fascinating i won't go through it all now but it's just such an incredibly cool setting and the, the game that that Jamie Sigmeyer designed around this artwork is absolutely exceptional. It's really good fun. There's a digital version of it available on Steam as well and on Android and, and iPhone if you want to play it on your phone. It, it involves sort of taking turns and, and producing resources and stomping around with these these mech creatures and, and characters and stuff trying to reclaim the factory that I mentioned, which is where the mechs came from. And it, it's sort of done on a hex grid, a bit like modern games of civilization or, or modern 4x type games on computer but it's fantastic you know the board is super high quality the you get nice little sort of miniature mechs and characters which are made of plastic but they're really well done and it's just a it's a really mechanically interesting game you have to be quite nerdy quite willing to learn the mechanics to get the most out of it because it's quite complex but once you've learned it it's it's super duper fun and i really enjoy playing it so yeah scythe scythe the board game as in age group it is a rated at 14 plus because as i say right. it's reasonably com- complex but i i know plenty of 10 year olds who would get it and would be really enthused by it so they might not play it particularly well i mean to be really good at it you'd probably have to be a bit older but you could definitely introduce a kid of like 11 12 to this i think and and if they if they could wrap their head around the the mechanics and the systems they'd really enjoy it it's probably not something to play with grandma over a couple of sherries at christmas <laughs> Bit of a generalization there. Sorry if uh, if you are a person who's a bit older and <laughs> yeah, likes side. You never know. 
You never know. Yeah, it's not one that I would try and teach my family at Christmas. Let's put it that way, because it's a bit complex for that. But I think it's brilliant. So yeah, I highly recommend it. And it is beautiful as well. The artwork that of the 1920 plus setting is definitely worth looking at, even if you never play the game. How Very much? cool. I paid about 80 quid for the box set. Whoa. Wow. That's an expensive board game. I'm yeah. thinking like Monopoly and Risk. No, but don't, don't forget it comes with an operation. a lot. It comes with a lot of stuff. So it comes with lots of tokens and, and it comes with these these miniature mechs, um, which are quite cool little models and characters and stuff. So it is worth it. I would say that's good value for what it is because it's a it's clearly an expensive game to produce, but everything is super high quality that comes in that box. And once you've got the box, you 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 know, you can play. And there are various expansions that come along, including one that allow you to actually play out a campaign. So where you play games and each the outcome of each game then affects the next game and advances the story, which is quite cool, which is called Rise of Fenris. It, it's just good. It's really, really good. It appeals to me in particular, I think, because I'm quite nerdy and like video games. But yeah, it's great. I would, I'd highly recommend it. Final recommendation then, Cinder. I think it was yours. Yep. So I'd like to recommend a TV series on BBC that I've been watching called Line of Duty. Most people will probably have heard of this by now because it's been running for several years, but I've just binge watched most of it in the last two weeks. It's a TV series about a police unit that investigates corruption within the police, corroboration between high-ranking police officers and organized crime. And it follows through a span of about six, seven years, and there's six series based up in Manchester, picking up on things such as very topical and real-life news stories like uh, pedophile rings with celebrities and high-ranking police officers and ministers through to terrorist cells in the UK and stuff as well. It's really, really well written, really well made, great actors as well. Three or four of the, the kind of main characters are very well thought out. It's something that I found very, very kind of easy to watch, quite addictive as well, action-packed. Yeah, very entertaining. It must be addictive if you smash through that many seasons in two weeks. <laughs> so I did an entire series last night and I was awake until 2pm, <laughs> well 2am, and I woke up at 6am this morning and oh. I'm planning to do the same thing again. It's that good. Like, uh, Wow, cool. I've watched okay. them. They're, they are very good. I, I, yeah, I concur. They're an excellent series. I don't seem to get worse as well as you yeah, go through them. Yeah, very which consistent. Is, which is which is good effort. Yeah, maybe I should give it a go. I bounce, I bounce off BBC stuff these days because everyone told me Bodyguard was absolutely amazing. That series <laughs> with Richard Madden, and I watched it, and it wasn't amazing. <laughs> it was I, very I, average, wasn't it? Yeah, I it really was. didn't like it, and I just thought, well, if this is the case, am I going to bother with any of these other BBC things? Because people were don't just give up on the don't yeah. give up on BBC. This is much Conservative better than... Conservative Bond. government has. Oh, no don't, no, don't sell that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good recommendation. Thanks, guys. Uh, we're running out of time. We better draw it to a close. So I think, everybody, that is the show. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, always good to hear from folks. So if you want to get hold of us, we're available, and we'd love to, to hear your thoughts. So we are available on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com. It's the email address. We're also available on Twitter, where we are ddklimited, at ddklimited. And we're also on LinkedIn as Dalton Day Candola. So uh, thank you very much, Wellinger Tinder, for your contributions again this week. And we will see everybody in the next episode. Thanks very much. Thank you. See ya.